Welcome back to my podcast, State House with Frank Santos. Today, we'll enjoy part two of my conversation with Dr. Katherine Harris. Enjoy the podcast. You know, I think you said the, the really operative words here is the cat's out of the bag. You know, in yeah. 2015, when they created this whole program, the cat was out of the bag. I mean, they've now, we now have a program. And what we do when we go around and talk with members and, and um, leadership and the agencies uh, involves DPS, and we say, look, now that you've put this out there and we have this program, let's make it, let's make this program work, you know, mm-hmm. because the, the, the more you take, you, it's, it's sort of like you offered this opportunity for people that need it. And it's not an intoxicating dose that you're putting out there. You're putting out a medicinal dose, but if you don't allow people to use it, they will go somewhere else. Right. And that's just sort of the fact. So, um, you know, we just, we've been trying to convince, and I think, I think it's coming along. I, I think we have a lot of support, you know, even uh, Representative Click, Chairman Click put out an article on the Fort Worth Star-Telegram recently, and I think the title was something along the lines that, you know, kids can get, you know, cannabis, but patients can't, you know, and it yeah. was sort of like, what are we doing here? Let's fix this program, and and to another point you made earlier, you know, we we worked uh, all session, a lot of people worked all session to fix some of the some of the um, some of the program um, parameters around things like um, the THC level. You know, we had a lot of data. We had a lot of people testifying about. You know, look if if you if you change the THC level just a little bit or change how you measure it, right. you know, by milligrams versus by percent, mm-hmm. then you can adjust. The doctors can adjust easier. And people can get what they need versus having to guess or take more than they really need to to guess to get to their um, relief of whatever they want. And that, and I think the other was um, they've already said they're going to try to add more providers, but chronic pain was a you know a big one, and you know we added some language in there to make it very sort of narrow as to what chronic pain meant. That it wasn't just, you know, uh, every day I wake up and my, my ankle hurts, you know, <laughs> that's not the kind of chronic pain we're talking about. I'm talking about sort of something close to intractable pain, but not intractable pain. You know, that's a that's a wholly different area. Um, so what do you think are the I mean, I, I think you mentioned it earlier about chronic pain. What about the other provisions that possibly could come up in this next special session on the border. I know border security is going to be part of that. And maybe it's a, you know, provision that they could put in to, you know, stem the tide of the illicit market by fixing this program. So people aren't going out and seeking out this illicit market. Does that, does that help? You think that helps? I, are you talking about like the border security, like at the, our Southern border, our Southern border. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I I see the issues as pretty separated. Um, I think that as far as the the cannabis market goes in the United States, and in particular, like the unregulated cannabis market, yes, some of those products still come from Mexico. There's like, uh, but I think that the majority of the products that we're seeing are coming from legal states, right? There's this. It's. I mean, we have 
legal states with excess product where, and especially if you look at, and this goes to kind of some of the issues with the way that states have chosen to set up their taxes, but we've seen the, the prices of, of cannabis in legal states decline, right, significantly. So if you can make, you know, I think in, in New Mexico, I, I, what did I hear? It was like $4 a gram for flour that people were paying. That's, that's very low. So if you are making that low of a, of a, a that's your margin, right? In a legal state, where are you going to make more money in a state where it's still prohibited? And that here we are. So I think, um, you know, again, I, and then I also think that like, as far as sort of drug issues go more generally, I, to me, I, I don't really see it as an issue of the, of border security because I, I really see it as a demand issue. And I think it's just basic supply and demand. And we have a demand for drugs, whether it's cannabis, opioids, cocaine, whatever it is, right? We've had that for centuries here in the U.S. As long as we have that demand, somebody is going to meet that demand because there's a, a profit to be made. And so I don't really think we could do anything we wanted to the border and we would still have drugs coming in to the into this country. So I, I do see them as quite separate. Um, to your point, though, I don't know if you saw this during the session, there was a bill that was introduced uh, that would have set up checkpoints at the New Mexico border. <laughs> so that would have actually, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I did, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, that would have um, stopped cars coming in from New Mexico. And, you know, and I, it didn't go anywhere. Um, but, you know, that just, I think like, it was just, it was almost funny to me that that was introduced at that time, just because of the, the changes in public opinion, right. And the idea that we would devote law enforcement resources to that. But I mean, that is more likely where it's coming from. Kind of from. speaks to the whole issue, though, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's not coming from it's not coming from the border necessarily. Right. It's coming from states that surround us. Yeah, so. and we, I mean, we've and we now in the U.S. really do make like a much higher quality product. I mean, we have very high quality cannabis products that are made, you know, homegrown, made in the USA. Uh, and so I think that that that's very much where the market is now. And you, you, there are actually, there's been reporting of this, especially on the West Coast, of cartels that have moved their organizations up along the West Coast. And so you have cartels that do control, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of, of cannabis that's, that's on the West Coast and that probably comes across the, the rest of the states as well. But again, that, you, that doesn't, that's not really affected by our border policies. No, no, you're right. And, um, and I guess maybe, maybe the point really should be more, you know, making the Texas program a robust program doesn't increase demand. It 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 provides um, it provides medications for people that already have a demand because of their condition. And I guess that was that's always been the biggest kind of nut to crack is, you know, by by opening the program and doing the things that. that you know, we talk about chronic pain and so forth and anything to get people to quit going to the illicit market. You know, we're not talking, we're not talking about people that are looking for intoxicating. That's a different, different group mm -hmm. of people. Right. And it's also, you're not going to increase demand. Nobody is going to seek out the, <laughs> the products that come out of this program. If you're looking to get, you know, intoxicated or high, um, it's really more for, the people that need it for, and it's such, cause it's such a low dose right now. I mean, it's uh, barely effective. So, so I would say, so I would, I, I agree with you that the, that certainly I think that there's a way to tailor the market and really we're, we're well positioned to tailor the market in a way to increase access without, uh, 
creating sort of a, a completely open commercialized market. Um, the products that are available, though, I would I would just push back just a little bit because I do think, okay. you know, if you look at some of the like the gummies, for example, that are, are available. Right. And I mean, they're um, if they're 10 milligrams of THC in a dose for somebody. I mean, for somebody that uses it constantly for their pain and has a much higher tolerance, that's going to be a small dose. But for somebody who is just sort of starting out and just experimenting with the the drug, a 10 milligram dose can be quite sufficient and maybe even a little bit much. Right. And so um, I'm just I'm just saying that to say that like that there that there are some options there, I think, for especially for patients that are more on the entry level. And yeah. my mom, I'll use as an example, who uh, she suffers from chronic pain and we, we've gone um, sometimes to states where they've been available and she's tried the gummies before that like kind of like the 10 milligram dum- gummies and 10 milligrams is, is a lot, is much too much for her. <laughs> yeah. We have to cut them in half. <laughs> um, but you know, they do, I mean, I think she certainly does feel, and I, I think it's also to me like the idea of the intoxicating component of it you know, people can feel side effects, right, of using it, right? There can right. be certain impaired functions. Certainly, you know, we don't recommend, like, if somebody is having any kind of impairment to go drive, right? And I think, like, with my, like, with my mom, again, just as heard as an example, you know, she certainly felt some psychoactive effects from it. Um, but she's also taken opioids, right? And those also have psychoactive effects. So I think right. just the, the, idea of whether or not that they can have those effects, I don't think that that should be a make or break aspect of it because all, all of these drugs have side effects, right? And it's for people that are in chronic pain, it's about figuring out the right individual balance between their pain and their like cognitive functioning during the day, right? And everybody's going to have a different level and, and standard that, that fits for them. And we have to give them an opportunity to try. And right now they don't have that in the state. I, I loved how you put that. That's that, that actually is probably the best I've ever heard anybody put that, <laughs> that whole argument. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, cause I look at it more on the policy side of things mm-hmm. and I see, and I think to myself, well, you know, you know, and I, and I said a minute ago that you know, intoxicating versus non-intoxicating. You know that that may that may not be the right. That's not the right argument. You, you know, for what you just said, um, because I guess by definition it is intoxicating. So, and it depends on the person and size of the person and and their you know how they react to it and all those things would make a difference. And I guess the thing that that um, the program could really enhance would be to To get the product inside the program, you still have to go through a professional, a physician. Um, I believe it's just physicians. I don't think that anybody else can can do the. I don't think they've given. I think it has to be just a, a physician that's in the program that's been authorized and certified by the program, and um, that's got its own problems because the way people get their prescriptions, it's you know can be. You know, it's difficult to get the second prescription. You almost have to go through the same process over and over and over again. And if you're someone who needs it every all the time, if you don't time it right, you could run out and then you're back to where you started. So um, I, I think the program had the has the right idea, but it's 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 so restrictive right now that I think that if they would just uh, allow um, 
for some dialogue with people like yourself and others that are that are and they do have a work group now so that's really good they have some patients on there i think they i, I want to say they might have a pharmacist now but um they have some company representatives on there which is a little um you know, it's just kind of weird because, you know, they, their their interest is different than the patients, but they also have the only experience for the program. Um, so I'm th- I, I know they're trying to figure out the right, you know, balance, you know, at the state level. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that I agree with you that I think TPS is kind of trying, trying to do it right. I mean, I, I think that they are genuine in that. I do think that their job is, is challenging. And I think that they the decisions about adding licensees, I think that there was this expectation that the program would be expanded during session, right? And since it wasn't, now there's this kind of question of like, well, okay, so what exactly should we be doing? Um, I wanted to point out this because we were talking about the kind of the chronic pain thing. And I was just, there's another aspect about this that I think is worth mentioning. And it's not necessarily something that has to be legislatively addressed, but one of these kinks right, is for chronic pain patients, right? If they it, say they, um, if we do uh, add that as a qualifying condition to the program, right, we need to make sure that people can both participate in the, the compassionate use program and also that they're not cut off from their opioids. Because some of the research that we're seeing shows that, you know, cannabis can help people reduce their opioid dosages, right? But for some people, they still need a combination of the two drugs. Okay. And it's, I think, as of right now, sort of an open question probably varies by doctor as to whether or not doctors who prescribe opioids would stop doing that if they find that their patients are using uh, cannabis. Because again, I just using my mom as the example, but I've heard this anecdotally from people as well. You know, she she has a prescription for tramadol and it sort of helps. Right. But it's kind of like not the greatest by itself. But she has to take she has to have drug screens to make sure essentially that she's still taking it um, and that it's not being diverted. Um, But in those same drug screens, right, they could detect cannabis use. So there's a question of like how that impacts the, the prescribing of opioids. And that's something, again, I've heard anecdotally from from folks who say that there were you know they don't want to get i think i actually heard this from people that are in the compassionate use program for other conditions that they don't you know there's a concern about getting cut off from those opioids and the need for the combination so that's another one of those issues right that that we need that needs to be addressed and it needs to be worked out even if it's not through the legislative process yeah i've never heard that issue and um and that's pretty important i've heard it in terms of you know people that are um you know, that they, their job security is a problem mm-hmm. if they, they yeah. if they, you know, that still hasn't been resolved. I don't think, I mean, some, I think there's been a, a little bit of work on that. Um, but, you know, to the point of getting these fixes, there's a lot of little fixes that need to happen. And, and I guess the, you know, the argument we're making to, to the legislature and to the governor's office in particular is, you know, I know you set it up so that every two years we'd come back and we would look at it <laughs> so that you had some control. The problem with all of that is, and I said this directly to, to the governor's folks, the problem is, is that all you get in a legislative process is talking points during a hearing. You don't get, you don't get real medical data and uh, real medical arguments. Um, and so your decisions are kind of, it's a shortcut. And so I suggested, and there is a way that they could do it, you know, through the agency, whichever agency they choose to do it through. Right now, it's 
DPS and and partly HHSC, but there's a provision in there to create a um, a medical group, working group, to actually look at these issues. It's never been it's it's never been uh, created, but it could be created, and then these issues could actually go before this this commission, and the information they would get would be light years different than what they get during a legislative session. So you could actually make an argument and you'd have to actually argue and produce medical data about certain issues um, in order for it to change. And then those decisions uh, policy-wise could be made on an ongoing basis. And the one thing I also told the governor's office is he passed, I say he, the governor Abbott passed a a piece of legislation. I want to say maybe, Two sessions ago, maybe even longer, but allows for the governor to essentially veto any any policy that he that they don't think fits the you know. So if something comes out of the agency and they and they could they could just so they they always have that backstop. And um, I thought it was a pretty good way to approach it. I know working with agencies is tough. I've done it my whole career. <laughs> and but at the same time, every two years is is becoming it it's it's just not getting the job done. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm glad you told him that. What what, what was the response? <laughs> um a, a lot of hemming and hawing and I think uh, they really just weren't sure. Yeah. They, I don't think anybody had ever mentioned that to him. And yeah. I Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think that, you know, it made sense right in 2015 when they created the program, right? The the initial decision about whether or not to allow for this medical cannabis program was a political one, essentially. Um, there was somewhat, you know, there was some medical arguments made, but it ultimately, right, when it's the legislature, it is a, a political decision. And now, just as you said, there's so many things that we shouldn't have to make people wait every two years for, for change on this program. And I think it, I agree with you that it makes a lot more sense to move it to an administrative Role And then, like you said, the governor has that veto powder if he feels the need to use it. I think and I I think that one of the reasons that this issue is is difficult to move in the state is because even if you look at the polling, right, if you look at polling, you see a consistent number of Republican voters who say that they support certainly medical access. Right. And we're starting to see more that say um, adult use also. But just focusing on the medical, like a, a majority that say that they support it. Um, but it's not like a red meat issue, right? It's not an issue that's going to drive primary voters, you know? Um, and because of that, I think that there's just a lot of, uh, complacency when it comes to the lawmakers and in the, in the legislature and one particular lawmaker, uh, at the <laughs> Lieutenant governor level that, Very important you know, member. I think that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I just, I think it, it's just not, it's not seen as critical enough that they have to support it. And I think during the session, right, it's only six months. And I mean, you've been involved in it more than I have, but it seems so chaotic. Almost Um, too much. (laughs) Yeah, right. And so, so there's just, you know, even if it's, even if there's not like a, uh, intentional opposition to it, there's also not like this intentional support. And so it sort of just, you know, gets, it falls by the wayside. Or no, you're you're of, actually right on yeah. because I think what what I found is so when, the way that the legislature you know sees this issue I, I is they're with it as long as there's not anything else more important going on. Right, exactly. And and if 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 you get to and I, this year I was actually trying to I was actually trying to find out when the world stopped 
And it stopped on April the 10th, I think, as I'm pretty close to the date when the world stopped at the Texas legislature this year, um, when everything just, you know, went to hell. And um, we got caught in that same loop with everybody else. Um, We weren't that important when it comes to when you're talking about property taxes and you're talking about all these other things that are really um, very critical issues to the state. And so it got left you know, on the side of the road again. And so, you know, you're at the whim of that. And, and I know that's part of the, that's part of the process. So I think it, that's just not a good process for something like this. I think it takes a little more, more deliberations with professionals and let those professionals talk about it and discuss it and come up with the proper changes and rules. That's the best, I think, for, in, in, in my estimation, and I've done a, a lot of work in the healthcare arena for 30 years, that's always worked the best. And once you get it out of the legislative fight, it's amazing how much more work you can get done. You, it's still not easy because you have to get, you know, the agencies to, you know, the agency or agencies to agree, but um, you got a fighting chance and it doesn't end at the at the end of the session and signing die. There's no signing die. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I would at this point very much take an administrative process over a political one for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Dr. Harris, this is this has been great. I've actually learned things that I did not know about uh, from you today and I did not know about um, the product and the program. And um, I hope you'll come back and do this again, because I think, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, we've got the session coming up. We've got decisions that are going to be made. I think DPS has another hearing this this um, month. They're not going to make any decisions, but they are going to have a hearing. So we'll, we'll know a little bit more. And um, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing issue. And um, I think our viewers and our listeners would, are probably just going to be fascinated by what you said today. And we really appreciate your time. Oh, of course, Frank. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to speak with you and I'll come back anytime. Thanks for joining us on this episode of State House. You can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcast today. If you like our program and you want to see more, please subscribe, like it, share it with others. If you've got a comment, leave us a comment. Anything that makes us better, we appreciate. And we really appreciate, if you like it, to give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.